It must be Thursday. Welcome to Learning Unwrapped, the podcast about your most important life skill, learning. My guest today has dedicated her professional life and certainly aspects of her personal life to the advancement of occupational therapy. She has been a professor and as of 2001, the chair of the Occupational Therapy Assistant Program at the State University of New York, Orange Community College. She is the founder of OT Plus, a company that provides OT services to schools. And in 2018, she retired as Professor Emeritus. But you could hardly call it retirement as she continues to sit on SUNY Orange's Board of Trustees and is the fieldwork coordinator and current president of the New York State Occupational Therapy Association, NYSOTA. Now, she has a string of accomplishments and organizational boards on which she served, but I do want to share that on a personal side. She has utilized her passion for storytelling to raise $60,000 for not-for-profit agencies with her one-woman comedy shows, Conversations with a Jewish Mother, and When Did I Become My Mother? Please welcome Flo Hannes. Hi, Nan. So great to be here with you. I, uh, I applaud you on Learning Unwrapped. Every podcast, every guest brings something new and, and into a knowledge base. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I know we've talked over the years about my work in designing learner active technology infused classrooms and executive function and, and how there's such a connection between our two fields. And we've not had the opportunity to sit and explore that. So I'm thrilled that I get to interview you today. Now, I do feel that occupational therapy, or OT, is misunderstood. Uh, I think people seem to know what PT is, or physical therapy, uh, in that it's all about how you move your body. But, you know, sum it up for us. OT is how you do function. OT is how you function in your daily skills. PTs provide um, improving an individual's ability to move their body. OTs help them use their bodies in what they need to do to get through their daily routines and what we call activities of daily living. And see, that's where I feel like the title has been confusing for people because when we think of occupation, we think of jobs or skills. But is it is it correct that there are actually, are they widely accepted eight occupations of occupational therapy? Well... Let's go back to occupations. Occupations are the skills and we and jobs that we think of. But in, as an occupational therapist, we consider occupation as the job of living and the skills needed for living. Oh, that's a great way to put it. So if you look at what do we do in any given day, we get up. We brush our teeth, hopefully. We move through the day preparing breakfast. Um, if you're a parent, preparing lunches, it, getting ready to go to work, going to work, transporting someplace, and then doing whatever the work is. So we deal with the activities of daily living, the skills of living of from birth, infants through hospice, through leaving our world. And anything we do is considered an occupation. So you guys are pretty important. 
I would like to think so. I don't know that the rest of the world knows that yet, but we're only 100 years old as a profession. So we're working on it. Wow, that's interesting. Only 100 years old. When did it emerge? It emerged during World War One. And it was to occupy, if you will, the um, soldiers that were in rehabilitation and to help them in their rehabilitation. But it was built on mental health in the sense that, yes, they were receiving physical therapy for mobility, occupational therapy for functional, but the concern was they needed to engage in activity, in, in doing something while they were the old term bedridden or waiting to do their turn in rehab. And mm -hmm. so occupational therapists being the versatile group that they were and continue to be, provided activities. They would determine what did a person like. It could be reading, it could be working on a puzzle, it could be writing a letter home. It could be sitting in a group and chatting, sharing war experiences. It was something that gave them an opportunity to think outside of their physical and emotional injuries. That's fascinating. And so who, who founded the field of occupational therapy? Well, there were a group of doctors, nurses, and, and then incorporating the activity of occupational therapy of, let's call it activities. No, let's call it occupations. Oh, it's therapy in occupations. And so it became occupational therapy. And it was um, actually begun by a a rehab specialist, a physician by the name of Dr. Barton, who believed that an important component of treatment for his, his patients, for anyone in recovery, was the incorporation of activity. And how did they manage to get through their daily lives if they were missing a limb, if they had limitation, if they had emotional issues um, contributing to disorganization of thoughts, and that leads to one of your favorite topics, but we'll come back to that, executive functioning skills, which began early on in the field of occupational therapy before it was even called executive functioning skills. So when I use my... Um my barbecue tongs to reach up and get my coffee mug off of the shelf that I can't reach. Occupational therapy, right? Uh, yes, you are doing a major part of a, what we call, and it goes back to executive function, adaptability, a, mm. adapting on how to reach. It scares me to think that you are using tongs <laughs> that uh, and one of your many collectible mugs may come crashing down. There are what we call- Maybe that's why we don't do the segment anymore, what's in your mug. <laughs> we need to get you a reacher, Nance. And, and that is exactly, exactly what an aspect of occupational therapy, of what do you need to do? What do you want to do? what limits your ability to do it? 
It can be as simple as reaching for a mug. It can be as complex. You're going to love the segue. It can be as complex as being able to sit in a classroom. Mm. Take notes, write on the, on the board, um, whatever is needed. Utilize a computer. So occupational therapists with school-age, um, school-based children look at what is their job skill. Their job skill is learning and everything that goes into learning. And we, we literally, as occupational therapists, unwrap the learning process. We look at... That's a what, nice play off the podcast. Thank you very much. <laughs> I thought you'd like that. I'm looking right at learning unwrap. We, we look at what are the steps involved in being a student? What are the tasks? The simple act of sitting in a chair is not so simple because if you have a child with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder or sensory processing issues, they're gonna wiggle around, they're gonna be uncomfortable, they're gonna be focusing on where their body is as opposed to instruction. A simple solution would be having a, a cushion that is like a gel cushion on the chair that allows movement for the child so they can move around or tying a thick band, a rubber band type around the legs where they can bounce their feet off of it while still sitting in the chair. Those are two very graphic examples, but the world of occupational therapy is filled with a plethora and, and a richness of ad adaptations to make it possible for people to anybody from throughout the lifespan to do those activities they're used to engaging in. And you know, of course, I'm fascinated by executive function and authored a book on how I think it's the missing link to student achievement. So as we're talking, when we consider the overarching categories of executive function, which are self-awareness, inhibitory control, working memory, cognitive flexibility, planning, reasoning, and problem solving, it, it suddenly occurs to me that it is the occupational therapist who is working to build those skills. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You are absolutely correct. I mean, they're not really separate at all it, because occupational therapy intimates that someone is working to help you with skills, just like the physical therapist is helping you move your body, but the occupational therapist is actually helping you build executive function. In everything that the occupational therapist does with a client, they are building executive function. If you have a limitation in your body, you need to be aware of what are the alternative methods of approaching something. You need to organize, you need to plan, you need, it takes more time to get ready to do something. It may not be as simple as reaching into your bag, taking out a, a textbook, taking out a set of keys, 
you have to think about what you're doing until you become um, habituated you, within your limitation that you can do this, but it takes time, it takes planning, it takes all of the elements of executive functioning skills. So what about a person who, for example, um, struggles in time management? Would that be something an occupational therapist would address? I love that you asked, how do we address time management as occupational therapists? Because it is the essence of what we do. And we do it through task analysis. And what I mean by that is, what task does a person have to be what are they involved in? What do they want to be involved in? What they need to do during a day? For a student, it could be putting a project together, uh, researching something online, reading an assignment, writing something. So with time management and task analysis, we would look at the project and break it down into steps with that student. How much time, if they have a disability, a challenge of either physical or cognitive, it may take them longer. We need to determine that. So we take all of this into consideration and then literally build a time management program allowing X amount of time for each step involved. And that helps with time management because they know, they are told, you have time to do this. Do not rush through it. Take the time. We will do a reassessment to see, was it enough time? Did it cause them to rush through? The whole basis, underlying foundation is what do they need to do to be able to learn? Well, and I love the idea of taking a task and breaking it down because how many times, and I know all of my colleagues in our consulting uh, business, you know, you get to the end of the day and you're like, where did the time go? (laughs) I, I thought I'd only need an hour to get that done. I, and you're right. That idea of being able to stop and break it down and say, I probably need about five minutes to do this part and then 10 minutes to do this. Probably if we did that a little bit better as, as human beings, uh, we'd get a lot more done in our lives, right? We would not feel as stressed probably. Um, and a, a really good example of that is that we so take for granted. We need to be someplace and we know how long it takes us to get there. We don't factor in how long does it take us to get the car started? And where do we get into the car? An occupational therapist is trained to look at every single aspect. I, I would like at this point to share a, a little anecdote with you. When I was teaching, I, I taught an introductory course. And my first assignment to my students was to brush their teeth. And of course, there were giggles all around, stifled or out loud. And I said, no, I'm very serious. Before class next week, I want you to brush your teeth. And here comes the zinger. I want you to write every step involved in brushing your teeth. 
So they come back the following week and we go around the classroom and how, how many steps did you have? Four, five, 20, 18, 50. Really, 50. And everyone else is looking at that person. Well, in order to brush your teeth, you need to be able to get out of bed. And for somebody with arthritis, getting out of bed is a task unto itself. Are you in a wheelchair? Are you walking? Where is the bathroom? How do you turn the light on? There are so many factors involved in everything that we do. So I go back to saying that is why occupational therapists have, do, have been doing um, have been doing this longer than 1970. That's fabulous. Well, and it's interesting. I, I remember, a, a, you know, in doing keynotes on executive function, I would, uh, you know, to get the audience just moving a little bit, I would, I would go through this uh, set of steps where I would say, okay, you know, extend your arm straight out, your dominant arm straight out. Now uh, clasp as if you're, you know, grabbing something. Now I want you to move your elbow at a 90 degree angle toward you. And then I would be like, now move your arm up and down. I don't have the entire audience of teachers, you know, doing this. And then I'd say there, okay, you've just brushed your teeth. And of course everybody laughs, but then I put up the list of executive function skills to say, how many of these skills did you need to brush your teeth? So again, I love the dovetailing of the occupational therapist essentially teaches and, and, and offers cues to build executive function. Well, exactly, because at any of those steps, we can determine what is the obstacle to continue. Right. It, it may be your wheelchair does not fit in your bathroom, or it may be you can't squeeze the toothpaste, or you may have a perceptual dis, uh, dysfunction of depth perception where you can't see how to squeeze the toothpaste onto the toothbrush. Right. So you're looking at every aspect, not just the executive function, but every aspect of that person being able to perform this daily activity. Exactly. I love it. I think what's amazing is the links we are making that are so important. And in a, everybody knows what education, what teaching is, what learning is. After a hundred years, we are still struggling and as a profession to convince people of what we do and how we do it and why we do it. Yes. I remember back when I, first wrote the book on executive function and, and was speaking on it, that teachers would say to me, uh, you know, I've heard the term, but only with special education students. And I never thought about it in the regular classroom. And I, and I say, well, there is something called executive dysfunction where a student literally is lacking um, the ability to, to, you know, capture certain skills or, or to master certain skills of executive function, but everybody has executive function skills. And so I feel like it's the same thing with OT. We have students who are taken out of class to get occupational therapy, but every classroom teacher is an occupational therapist. And so how come in teacher preparation programs, how, why don't we require 
every teacher, pre-service teacher to take a course in occupational therapy as it relates to their classroom. Oh, what a great fantasy. <laughs> that <was> a big <laughs> smile. <laughs> that would be wonderful. Uh, one of our issues is getting teachers, classroom teachers to accept the occupational therapist coming into the classroom because mm. there is such a degree, unless they're a LATIC school, there is such a degree of turfdom that they don't want anyone but the primary teacher and the teaching assistants in that classroom. Mm. And of course, if you're teaching in very conventional ways where the teacher's presenting the information and then students are working on some activities, there's no room for an OT in there programmatically. Whereas in LATIC, you could have a student schedule the time they were going to spend with the OT while other students are working on math. You know, it's other students might be working on their science. So uh, it it's a veritable OT playground, the Learner Active Technology Infused Classroom. Yes. And I will tell you that we are wending our way into the classroom by um, convincing teachers how having an occupational therapist observe in their classroom can help in positioning holding a pencil or a crayon, positioning um, paper on the desk, how the child sits. So they're, get, they're getting it. They're getting it. That's really wonderful. It's, I think that that's the next step. That's where we need to head. I have been an occupational therapist for 52 years and loving it from, from the beginning. When I first became an occupational therapist, the very thought of providing any sort of OT, what we call it, on a computer was anathema to me. It was, oh my God, no personal contact, no touch, no, no presence. And here I find myself 52 years later advocating for providing therapy online. <laughs> That's great. When we achieved that, we had another problem. And again, NYSOTA came to the rescue. Now it was, oh my God, I never learned this in school. How am I going to do this? I don't know how to do therapy online. So as a service organization, uh, membership association, we set about developing webinars on how to's and what to. And um, so I could go on and on and tell you that without NYSOTA, I just one other aspect. When a therapist goes into their facility, be it home care, a skilled nursing facility, a school district, a mental health, a hospital, et cetera, they think about what they have to do to treat their client that day. They don't stop to think how did I get here? What made it possible for me to be licensed, to be paid, to carry out what I do? NYSOTA takes care of that. Well, that's a great way to sum it up. You see, it's good you're the president. <laughs> <laughs> and now a pitch for your field. Why should young people consider a career in OT? It is exciting, it is diverse, it is creative, it, is, it has great time management. You can work full-time, you can work as a consultant, 
You can work in a, a, a wealth of different places. It is helping people. It is giving learning sciences. Wait, go back to, it is giving learning sciences. It is giving the opportunity to learn, to use the sciences, to use psychology, to learn um, about ways of adapting one's environment, ergonomics, assistive technology. It encompasses the world in the sense of you have somebody who needs something to help them to help them function. That something is occupational therapy, perhaps. The very act of peeling a potato, if you think about it, it involves holding the potato, using a peeler. But what if you don't have function for a variety of reasons, a stroke, other, re other disabilities and challenges? How do you peel that potato? Well, if peeling a potato is important to you, and we determine that as occupational therapists, then we will provide a piece of adapted equipment. Very simply, a wooden block with steel prongs on it with suction cups on the bottom that you can push down with one hand on a counter, put the potato on, and to quote Lucille Ball, you can shred, you can slice, you can dice, and you're able to peel that potato. And it goes from that to adapted automobiles to be able to drive to assistive technology, utilizing computer adaptations. And for someone with visual impairment, using optics that enlarge so they can read and see things. Well, and what just came to mind was uh, when my sister was alive and my sister had rheumatoid arthritis and was at the point where the only movement she had in her body was uh, her th right thumb and index finger. She, she had very hard time with any kind of fine motor skills and she loved to play Scrabble. Why don't you just share what your students did to help her out? Forever searching, problem solving um, opportunities for student occupational therapy assistants and occupational therapy students. I knew about this from Nancy and I said, no problem. We will uh, make it a problem solving activity with my students. And the first part of the project was what could Marge hold? And so we sent different size cubes. When we determined which cube assessed that she could hold, we then glued the pieces of the tiles, the word letter tiles onto those little blocks. Ah, but another problem arose. Those little blocks now didn't fit on a standard Scrabble board. So a Scrabble board depicting exactly a duplicate but larger spaces was then developed. And Marge, as I recall, very fondly and emotionally got to play Scrabble with mom a lot. We, we had endless hours of Scrabble fun and keeping her occupied um, in her condition, thanks to you and your students. So 
And then to go back to what you said, Nancy, why should students go into this? That is one of many reasons why student, I recommend occupational therapy as a consideration for people who like to, who like science, who like working with people, who like problem solving and creativity. Change the world. And I, I have a Ralph Waldo Emerson quote that goes with that, that I absolutely love. To know even one life has breathed easier because you have lived, this is to have succeeded. And as an occupational therapist, on a daily basis, you have the opportunity to make people's lives better. Wow. Wow. Well, thank you. That's a fabulous quote. Um, all right, so let's unwrap the learning. What advice do you want to give to our listeners for better understanding and recognizing the need for OT in young people and really anyone? The first is do not look at somebody with a physical, emotional, social, or mental challenge as not being able to do something. They are able. They are very abled and capable. But how do we do it? We find the assets or the strengths. OTs prefer strength-based. We find the strength that they have and build upon that. And my advice is, most importantly, give everybody an opportunity to try and perhaps not do it. Then we know what they need to help them do it. But not to give them the opportunity to try something because we label them as not being able to prevents them from ever moving forward and growing and being. Thank you. And thank you for being my guest today. This was fascinating and I can't wait to listen to it myself. And I'm sure our listeners will very much enjoy all of your insights. My pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. Anything to promote the importance and the value of occupational therapy in enhancing people's lives. Well, that's a wrap. I'm glad you could join me. I hope you'll subscribe, like, and share this podcast and help me spread the word about the power of learning. Till next time.